I want to invite you to turn to Psalm 145. It's page 524 in the Bibles that are under the chairs. You're allowed to take one of those Bibles. You just finished a series on the Apostles' Creed, and so this is a standalone sermon. It's not part of a series, and the sermon title is Learning to Worship. Learning to Worship. Let me just say a couple things while uh, you turn there. You know, part of the gospel is that when Jesus saves us, he brings us into what he's doing in the world. Jesus is sent from the Father, and being connected to him, Jesus pulls you into what he is doing in the world to bring God's love to the world, to bring salvation to the world. And part of the gospel, too, is when Jesus saves us, he makes us part of a community. I had the chance to, I saw the whites last night, and they were talking about how special that was, that all the help that they had, and how it was a community win and a family win. And I just want you to know that one of the fun things about visiting this church is it's not just, hey, there's this church out there with a key on it and a little cross in the key, and I'm sort of connected to that because I'm the director of the network. All those things are true. You do have the cross and the key on it, and I am the director of the network. But this is what it feels like. It feels like visiting some friends. And by God's grace, it is. And we're not a perfect community, right? We know that in the church that I pastor. We don't live this out perfectly. But by God's grace, we are experiencing some of what it means to be the family of God in the community of Jesus. And let's grow in that. And I just want to say to you guys that I love you. We do pray for you regularly. I'm like a... uh, have you ever been to a family reunion? A lot of times those happen in the summer. And someone comes up to you and they're like, I know you. I love you so much. And you're like, great. Who are you? You know, you live on someone's fridge that you don't know about. And they're crazy about you. And when they see you, they get a little stoked and they're happy. And you're like, it's great. Kind of, you know. I'm that crazy uncle for Liberty Harrisburg. Um, I love you guys. I was there when you were born. I held you when you were a little baby. When you were a little baby, there you were, Liberty Harrisburg. And it's been a joy to watch it. It's been a joy to watch, uh, by God's grace, to to be a part in. I, I do love you guys. Something to remind you about and then challenge you about. Remind you about be reminded that God is doing something in our country for his glory, by his grace. It used to be when Liberty first started, I was starting a church with the knowledge that, you know what, more churches close per year than start. It's a downer, right? Oh, geez, more churches close than start. And still, there's 3,000 churches that close their years in the United States. But guess what? 3,500 started last year. And in in our nation, by God's grace, there's more churches starting than close. And by God's grace, uh, the Liberty Network has a tiny piece of that for our region, for our state. When Jesus saves us, he makes us part of a family and sends us on a mission. We need to live out the gospel and the love of Jesus. We're called to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus. And we live that out in deeds, doing things like helping Uh, a friend in your community move. And we also do that with our words. 
And by God's grace, there's some other churches that have started that are lifting up the good news of Jesus for their community. And I know you've had Jacob Kim preach here. Does anybody remember Jacob Kim? He's going to plant uh, a church. It, it's not there yet. It doesn't exist anywhere except in his prayers. <laughs> a Liberty Church in Montgomeryville, uh, a, a neighborhood and region of about 300,000 people in the southeast part of um, our state. And Evan Curry's been out here. And uh, thank you for having these young guys out here. We're, by God's grace, we're training a whole bunch of people, and it looks like that's picking up momentum. God is blowing on it. We're training more people to uh, be businessmen, Christian businessmen, and, and, and workers, and laborers, and whatever we do to do it all to the glory of God. And yes, pastors and church planters too. And so that's, that's something to be thankful for. Be reminded that there's these other Liberty Churches out there. There's nine of them. I think I'm the only person that's visited all of them. Because let's face it, why would you do that? It would be weird. It would take, like, you know, a long time. And I, I think I'm the only person that's visited all of them. I'm the pastor of a church, of a church, and also about almost half my time is being the director of this network and starting other churches so that more people hear the best news in the universe. That's what we do. And so be reminded these other churches are there and pray for them. Pray for your state. Who else is going to pray for central Pennsylvania? I will, but I want you to as well. And I know many of you do, but pray for these other towns. Pray for God's work. Pray for all the churches that love Jesus around you. Um, pray for God's work in your region. So I just wanted to remind you of, these, of those things. It's good to be with you. I'll pray super briefly, and then we'll launch in. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that when you save us, you draw us into what you're doing in the world. You draw us into a community sent to live, speak, and serve as your very presence in the world. And I pray for these friends that they would be Jesus' hug in the Harrisburg region, and Jesus' tears. They weep with those who weep. And rejoice with those who rejoice, who rejoice, and serve in your name, and, and speak your good news. Take us deeper in living that out, and speak to us now in your word. And we pray, Lord, I pray for them, for more fruit here, in them, and through them, right here. And we pray also for this part of our state where you've placed us, and in our generation, with the people alive now that your gospel would run. Please do that. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So um, thanks to that sermonette by Dave White, I'm going to move quick. No, it really was awesome. Thank you. Uh, here we go. Follow along as I read Psalm 145. Psalm 145. A song of praise of David. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. 
On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all the generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Amen. Amen. This is God's word. Now, the world has a liturgy. It says, do this to be great. The world's liturgy it goes things like this. Get this abdominal machine on this infomercial, and you'll have rock-hard abs, and you will be great. Buy this product, and you will be great. If you had a partner, a spouse, a soulmate like this, you would be great. If you could achieve this job, or if you had this kind of financial security, you will be great. And actually, all of those things can be great gifts. A good job, money is a great gift. Rock hard abs, that would be awesome. Uh, nothing wrong with the abdominus sizer thing in the middle of the night at 3 a.m. that you can have for three payments of 1999. But the gospel has a counter liturgy. The gospel's way to be great is different. And part of the church's role is to lift up the counter liturgy, the rebellion against the rebellion. This is the way to be great. Actually, God is great in knowing his grace, the greatness of his grace, the greatness of, of his reality, the greatness of his presence, learning to know his greatness. And know who you are in light of that, knowing that you're called to reflect that. That's true greatness. It's a different path for greatness. It's a different deal. And so this sermon is called Learning to Worship. And the first thing I want you to notice about this psalm is that notice that the joy, that there's joy in worship. And we know the psalms are emotionally honest. You've done a series a while ago now about the psalms. The psalms don't say you actually just have to pretend to be where you're not. C.S. Lewis has this quote. It goes something like this. I'll paraphrase it. The psalms remind us that we can say to God what is really in us not what ought to be in us. So David can say, 
when, his, when he's faint, he can say, I'm like a deer in the desert, like a deer panning for water. I'm crying out for the presence of God. He can admit where he's at. The Psalms are incredibly emotionally honest. And because he's honest other times, we need to, to, to say, this is real. This isn't, he's not just like doing a pep rally. He really is full of joy. He says, Lord, I extol you, my God and King. I will bless your name. Extol means to, to, to say aloud, to lift up. I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. His heart just kind of explodes with joy. And this is his last psalm. This is David's, it's what I call his drop the mic psalm. And the psalms end with all these songs of praise. They end, there's all this struggle in them and all this emotional wrestling, but they end with praise, which is really comforting. The psalms end how our lives will end. If you're connected to Jesus, amidst our struggling and our journey, this is how it's going to end, how history is going to end, being with God and having our hearts full. It's really good news. It's great news. That's the end of the journey. That's where the psalms end. And there's joy here. It's not begrudging joy. Remember, um, I don't know how many fans, I don't know how many people watch the Olympics, but you see some people get second, or what's worse, like fourth place, and they're like, congratulations, good for you. I missed the goal. This is not, worship is not like that. This is heartfelt. Why is that? Five things we're going to touch on. I'll do them really quick. Worship is relational, deserved, learned, expressed, and promised. Worship is relational, deserved, learned, expressed, and promised. First, worship is relational. And this is why his heart's full. You notice what he says, I will extol you my God and king. He calls God his God. There's a relationship there. So learning to worship isn't like learning to do CrossFit or learning to do proper push-ups. It's not learning a technique. It's learning about a person. That's the why, why when Christians talk, it's a little weird. They talk like they know Jesus. They talk like I... This is where they talk about love for God and God's love for them. It's relational. And there's a... There's a biblical scholar who sometimes teaches at Gordon-Conwell in Boston named Sarah Lebner Hall, and she has this fascinating illustration that I think is really great. She talks about when she hugs her husband in the kitchen, her three-year-old runs over and wants to get in between their legs. The three-year-old wants to get in on the hug. And the reason why worship is relational is that God is actually in community with himself. There's, it's this mysterious thing, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is not lonely. God is not bored. God is not an old man looking for something to do, staring at a blank white room. God is in community, and 
enjoys love and joy in himself. And in grace and for his glory, he created a universe. He created us and he also saved us. And he brings us in, into that hug. So Jesus, uh, you think I'm making this up. Here we go. Jesus, in praying for the people who believe in him, and praying for the people who believe on him in the future, as he looks down, as he looks ahead at history, says this, I have made known to them your name, John 17. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus prays to God the Father and says, I have made you known, and I'm going to continue to do that, that Jesus himself would be in us, and that the love that God the Father has for Jesus would be in us. In worship, we connect with the Trinity, this relational God. We get in on the hug. Uh, God, the love that God has in Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and that is reflected and shared and experienced in a a very mysterious way, we're brought into contact with this relational God and we experience His joy. Jesus said things, basically, like these kind of massive promises that knowing Him, we know His joy and His joy would be in us. Worship is relational. It brings us into contact with the persons of God in the person of God. It's relational. What else is worship? Worship is deserved. Now look at what David says here. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. God is a king, and God is great. And this greatness is is so massive that it's unknowable. That's what unsearchable means. It means you can't scope it out. You can't completely get your mind around it. You don't completely get it. It's beyond you. It's great. Now, we have a couple beefs about that. There's a couple things that Americans find annoying. We don't want to be told anything is beyond us because we've been told in our culture, you can do anything you want. You can do anything. And the comedians Key and Peel do a funny video on this where this athlete is like, you can fly. Kids, you can fly. You can jump up on a roof. And if you believe, you can fly like an airplane. And actually, no, you can't do that, right? And, and those comedians are pointing out the fact that we don't like to be reminded of our limits. Um, The supernatural evil in the world, Satan always wants human beings to choose between two poles. To say to human beings, you're nothing, you're less than human, you're just an animal. That's all you are. Live like an animal. um, And have your desires rule you like an animal and be enslaved like an animal and just live for your impulses like an animal. There's nothing special about you. You're just like an animal. Or say to human beings, you know what, you can be a little mini god. You can be like God. And that was a lie in the book of Genesis, right? You want to be like God? God's holding out on you. And we're fascinated by God-like power. 
and we wonder what it would be like to be little mini-gods. I love superhero comic books and movies and stories. Uh, the summer blockbuster this summer, Suicide Squad, it's about what it would be like to have power. And you know what worship does? Worship, in a healing way, orients us to where we're really at. We're not gods. We don't rule the world. We don't have unlimited power. Yet we're not just animals either. We're not nothing. We're these mysterious, glorious creatures, yet with brokenness, that are made in the image of God and made to know and love God. We are made for God. It puts us in our place in a healing way to admit that God is great in ways that we need. And God is a king. Uh, Some of you might wonder, in admitting God is great, that we can't be great, actually we are created and called in Christ to enjoy and reflect God's greatness. Now, we need to be able to be okay with God being a king and a ruler. And here's the automatic knee-jerk reaction to this in the West and in America. We come from a historical tradition. We don't like kings, okay? We fought an American revolution. Down the street from my house is Independence Hall on 6th Street. I live on 6th Street. And John Hancock wrote his name really big. Why? To defy a king. And it's awesome, right? It's an awesome part of our history because that king was so unfair. And the English chopped the head off of Charles I. The French beheaded King Louis XVI. The Russians shot their czar and his family. The West has said, we are done with kings. And scriptures, the scriptures actually point out that kings, like governments, can be tyrannical. Kings can be brutal. Kings can be self-interested. Kings can just take and take and take. And so there's a piece of our cultural memory where we basically, we make the theme of our lives, we make it like that hit song by They Might Be Giants. Now this is old. This is early 2000s. The indie band They Might Be Giants won a Grammy for this song. It became the theme song to Malcolm in the Middle. You're not the boss of me. You're not the boss of me. Remember this song? You're not the boss of me. You're not the boss of me now. You're not the boss of me now. And you're not so big. And that's actually, in the West, our heart response to kings. And the only king that we recognize in the West is the king of the self. Create your own truth. Pick your own path. Forge an identity for yourself. Create your reality and live it. Be your own king. It's not going to work. It doesn't play out like that. It's actually another sermon. It's impossible pressure to put on yourself. It doesn't work. But maybe this is your beef. Some of you are probably thinking, so God's a king, and I need to admit that. So is God like a Kardashian? Does God sit around and wonder why more people aren't thinking of him? (laughs) Is God a Kardashian? Why aren't more people thinking of me right now? Here's the thing. Here's the difference. God is the only one, when he says he's a king and he's great, and he asks for worship, he calls for worship, he commands worship, he's the only one that that's actually a loving thing to do. 
and asking you to know him and live for him and reflect for him as your creator and as the only savior in the world. He's the only one where that woman slave that won't screw you up. Like if any boyfriend did that, if any girlfriend, if any spouse or any government said, look, your whole existence is for me. And you just need to come bow down and live for me. Have your whole reality and identity based on me. If any job, if any government, if any other person or partner, if anyone else did that, it would be enslaving. God is the only one that's actually freeing. And in doing that, God is loving you. Now, is that true? What do we learn about worship here? Notice that worship is learned here. He's meditating. These all these different words, praise, commend, declare. He's meditating. He's working at it. He's meditating on how good of a king God is. And here's the thing about God. Look at verse 5. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. He admits, there's part of me that doesn't get it. I have to think about it. And look at what he says in verse 14 and 18. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Here's the thing about this king and this God. Okay, this is, and this was written before Jesus came. But it's a meditation on God's character, which we see most clearly in Jesus. Jesus came, and he was a different kind of king. He didn't come to to take, but he came to give. He didn't come and say, I'm the son of God, and I'm going to use superhero-like power to melt the rebels before me and make people bow down. He said, though the son of man came not to be served, but to what? To serve. And this king, he's an upside-down king for an upside-down kingdom. Jesus goes up on a mountain and says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You know, you know who the meek are? They're the people who get picked last for every team in elementary school. They're the unassuming. They're the lowly. They're the outcast. They're the leftover They're the ones on the outside. And Jesus says they are blessed in his kingdom. It's upside down. Jesus says in his kingdom, they're going to inherit everything. That the first in his kingdom are going to be last, and the last will be first. Jesus is the king who didn't come to take but to give. Another... Another Jason Bourne movie has come out. They have all the same subtext, which is true, right? People with power tend to abuse it and can use, people with a lot of power can exploit others. That was actually Nietzsche's insight. People with power tend to abuse it. God uses his power, though, to do what? To lift up the lowly. Who can be near a king in the ancient world? You've got to have connections to be near a king. You've got to have access. You've got to be great to come near a king. You know who can come near to this king? The lowly. All and all who call on him in truth. This king is completely different. What if there was a king who gave? 
Verse 8, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all. His mercy is over all that he has made. You know what's happened? On this side of the cross and the empty tomb, we think about God's kingship through Jesus. Jesus came and instead of taking, gave himself even on the cross and rose from the dead that we would be lifted up and saved. God has power. People with power are scary. But you know what? God used his power to lift us up so we can trust him. And we ought to worship him. If you knew, if you knew God's power and how he used it, and even now, right this moment is reaching out to you, you would uncurl your fists. You would uncurl your fists. And you could say, I can trust that God. You can trust the nail-pierced, the nail-pierced hands that reach out and love to you. You can trust an arm of power and hands of power if they're nail-pierced for your sake. And I'll end with this. This worship is expressed and it's promised. What do you need to do to learn to ski? Maybe some of you learned to water ski this summer. You ski. What do you do to learn to swim? You swim. What do you need to learn to, how do you learn to worship? You try worshiping. And we need to do it privately. We need to do it together. We need to try to do it day to day. God, I'm trying to bring myself before you and remember who you are. And I got to pray about this day today. And we do it in homes. We, We learn, how did I learn to pray? I went to a prayer meeting in the 90s for years at New Life Glenside. For years, I didn't say anything. I barely ever spoke. I listened to other people pray. We learn by doing it and learning from others and expressing it as part of it. And this is the great promise. This is where it's heading. Where the Psalms end is where history is heading where the Psalms end is where your life is heading if you're connected to Jesus. Through all the pain and all the tears, on the other side of this is a loving God who reaches out to you with nail-pierced hands, and that's where it's heading. Jesus is going to meet us, and all God's works will give thanks to you, O Lord. All your people will bless your name, and your kingdom is everlasting. It really is. Here we are. This is an ancient psalm written by a man thousands and thousands of years ago. And here we are meditating on this and hearing about it here in this language, which wasn't even invented yet when this psalm was written. In this world, this God is on the move. And he calls you into that. Let's pray together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, We thank you that in grace you reach out to us and save us. We thank you that in grace we can learn uh, to trust you and worship you and that you're the only one where making our lives revolve around you will actually be freeing. It won't enslave us or trick us or fool us. It'll actually be the most, the only way for us to know liberty the only way for us to know freedom. And you said that if we knew you, we would know the truth and the truth would set us free. Take us deeper into that 
and teach us to worship, we pray. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.